morning and happy long weekend. I love long weekend crowds. They're a little bit more rowdier. <laughs> They're a little bit more supportive of the preacher. They even throw money. No, don't do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, welcome. It's great to have you here. Welcome to our factory. If you're here for the very first time, this is our church. It's his sanctuary. And uh, this is where we meet every Sunday as Door of Hope Christian Church. I know there are many people here, in fact, visiting. If you would be brave enough, just uh, this long weekend, you happen to be in our state or you happen to be up this part of the state anyway. If you're visiting, would you just, we don't embarrass you, just quickly just raise your hand. We just want to welcome you and just, yeah, there's a number of people. It's great, great to have you all the way from Melbourne down here. Fantastic, across this auditorium. Welcome. Welcome to Door of Hope Christian Church. Welcome to Launceston. Welcome to the best state uh, in Australia. <laughs> hey, just two very quick things, and I'm going to get into this. I don't think he's here today. Um, many people have gone away. It's a long weekend, and uh, uh, as I said, I love long weekend crowds. My name's Steve Fitzallen, the senior minister here at Door of Hope, and this is my 20th year. I did it. It's my 20th year on staff, and so did you, by the way. So did you. You did it as well. And so, uh, anyway, um, um, and uh, just two very quick things. I have the privilege to launch today. You'll see a little bit of a clip later on about it, the Miracle Missions Offering. And so it's our once a year annual uh, only offering above our regular tithes and offerings uh, in regards to missions locally, nationally, and internationally. So a little bit, little bit of a clip will be played later on in this service. The second thing I'd like to announce, on behalf of the Resource Ministries Board, that being the chairman of Phil Beeston and uh, COO, Chief Operations Officer Troy Roberts, have employed um, as our Launceston Conference Centre Manager, Mr. Joel Ratcliffe. Is that okay? Yeah? <laughs> Uh, Joel will be serving as a manager for four days, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, and is already doing a great job. In fact, he's arranged a breakfast, a business breakfast this Wednesday, here, 7.30, Wednesday morning, if you're interested to come along, 7.30 till 9, it's free, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, anyway, there's numbers, uh, numbers uh, 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 well, it's going to sell out, and so Tim Holder is the uh, guest speaker at that particular breakfast, and so uh, anyway, contact the welcome desk or get online, whatever you need to do to book into that one, and so it's going to be a great time, he's, he's organised that. Hey, Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13 is our text for this morning, we're going to speak the word already, is that okay? Let me just say a little prayer and we'll get into it this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in Jesus' name. I'm thankful for all these guests and visitors who have flown in or driven up or driven across, whatever it is, we pray your blessing upon each visitor. For this word, we're thankful for it. Your word is alive and active. It will not return void. And so once again, Lord, I pray that you would be, you would be the teacher, you would be the guide, you would be the comfort, you would be the peace, you would even get us out of our comfort zone. In Jesus' name, we pray these things, amen. And amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, feel free to grab those out. If you have your smartphones, feel free, or uh, smart devices, feel free to grab those out. And uh, we've got it all on the screen, by the way. And by the way, welcome. Welcome to those who are participating online, as always, wherever you might be, from your tent or your caravan. Uh, across our beautiful state. It's great to have you here watching and participating with us. I'm going to give a history lesson. As I grow older, I'm fascinated by history. Anyone else? I'm fascinated what happened in the past, but I'm living for the future. And so let's have a bit of a history lesson throughout this morning's message. Is that okay? Come on, come on, long weekend. Is that okay? Fantastic. Let's get into this history lesson for the long weekend. Has anyone heard of this man? A man named Socrates. 
Yeah, you've heard of him. Fantastic. Well, it was 400 years before Christ that he lived, and uh, there were certainly no smart devices back then, and so uh, a fantastic beard there that has been sculpted for us. But uh, he was the founder of Western philosophy, an amazing mind. He had a huge impact on education. He loved to teach, by the way, for the teachers in the room, he loved to teach by asking questions. He had this amazing mind, and he, this teaching by asking questions, in fact, today it's known as the Socratic method, the Socratic method. Now, the day that he died, he was recognized as one of the greatest thinkers to ever have lived. That's Socrates. Let's fast forward just a few years to Alexander the Great. Very good. Alexander the Great. Now, of course, he didn't struggle with self-esteem. He uh, named 20 cities after himself. Anyone else been able to do that before? Well, he did. And so by the age of 30, he had the largest empire that anyone had ever had. He was known as a military commander. In fact, he never lost a war, a battle at war. They even study today his tactics and how he did all of this. The Greek empire was phenomenal. And so he spread the Greek culture throughout the entire known world. And the day that he died, everyone recognized him as one of the greatest military commanders ever to have lived. Let's keep going into the future, just a few more years into the future. Let's fast forward to a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. Yeah? Okay. He's the founder of the Roman Empire. He was the first emperor. In fact, he was in his role for 40 years. He built Rome to be the most grand city in that time of history. Now, the day that he died, everyone knew he would go down in history as one of the greatest rulers that had ever lived on the face of the earth. Let's keep going. Let's fast forward a number of years to a gentleman by the name of Muhammad. Muhammad had a huge impact. In fact, he claimed to be a prophet, and he started his own religion called Islam. Tens of thousands of people followed him, and by the end of his life, the entire Arabian Peninsula had adopted his faith called Islam. Now, the day that he died, everyone knew that this was a significant religious leader, and his movement would no doubt have an impact on the future of the world. Let's keep going into the future a bit more. Let's fast forward to Leonardo, not DiCaprio. Who said that? (laughs) Da Vinci. Leonardo Da Vinci. He was a brilliant man. The year was 1452 when he was born. Some people believe he was the most talented person who ever lived. One of the world's greatest painters. You may be familiar with the... Mona Lisa. Anyone seen the Mona Lisa, by the way? Well, we've got a number of hands. Of course, the Mona Lisa is situated in Paris at the Louvre. Very good, Paris at the Louvre. And uh, he painted, in fact, in Italy, for those who are interested. And um, he was a sculptor. He was a sculptor. He was uh, an architect. He was an astronomer, a geologist, an anatomist. There was not a lot that this guy could not do. In fact, this guy was a genius. Yet the day that he died, everyone knew he was probably the most genius of an individual that had ever lived. Okay, let's fast forward to a guy by the name of Beethoven. Say it with me. 
da 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 This is Beethoven and uh, Ludwig van Beethoven, of course. The year was 1770, and uh, he was a phenomenal piano player. It would have been amazing to hear him. Uh, a composer, of course, and one of the most influential and famous musicians to have ever lived. Yet he lost his hearing. Did you know that? He lost his hearing later on in his life, yet he still composed. He couldn't necessarily hear it, but he could certainly feel it. And But the day that Beethoven died, everyone knew that he would be remembered as one of the greatest musicians of all time. Is that true? Absolutely. Okay, let's stop going forward. Let's go back to a guy by the name of Jesus Christ. Anyone heard of Jesus? Well, Jesus, Jesus, the day that Jesus died, his tiny little movement had come to an end. His 12 followers, well, some of us know the story, one of them actually betrayed him, and the others, well, they kind of fled the scene. A few women were found around the cross at the time of him being crucified, where others were in fact mocking him. You see, the day that Jesus died, from a human perspective... He was seen as a failure and quite insignificant. For many years, um, for many, for many people, in fact, Jesus was a huge disappointment. He made a lot of promises that maybe, maybe this could be the king. Maybe this could be the Messiah and maybe he's here to build his kingdom. You see, the day that Jesus died... People were filled with disappointment. There were so many expectations on this man by the name of Jesus. Now, if Jesus, if I was Jesus, I was to reappear, and a few days after his death, he certainly did, the first person I would appear to would be that of Pilate. I'm back. Maybe the Sanhedrin the next shop, one of their meetings. <laughs> How did that go for you guys? Hmm. And maybe next, the soldiers. That's if I was Jesus and praise God that I'm not. But Jesus himself was in fact very content to reappear to a few of his followers, and then almost kind of, almost kind of sneak out the back door and be gone. Now, he knew he was going to let people down. He knew their expectations were up here somewhere and the way they wanted it to be. Now, if you look carefully, if you read carefully, which I know many of you do, at his teachings, he spent a lot of time helping people to understand that it was going to be completely different to what they expected it was going to be. Jesus, in fact, if you read his teachings, he did his absolute best to help them see that the way the kingdom works and also that the way the kingdom comes... That's what Jesus did his best at doing. And for an example of that, we're going to open to Luke chapter 13 this morning. And Luke chapter 13 is a great story that goes into two parables. And so we're going to unfold the two parables here this morning in Luke chapter 13 from the NLT, the New Living Translation. It's entitled, Jesus Heals on the Sabbath. And context, once again, is very important when it comes to his teachings. And so Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Let's read Luke chapter 13, sorry, verse 10 I'm starting from. 
It says, one Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. Everyone say synagogue. Synagogue, that's great. He saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years. You got that? For 18 years. Hard to believe, isn't it? Bent double. And was unable to stand up straight. Sometimes I don't know if that's like you when you get out of bed. I find it hard. So anyway, we'll keep going. Just uh, stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman... You are healed of your sickness. He speaks into this with such power and authority. Then he touched her and instantly, everyone say instantly, instantly she could stand straight how she praised God, changed her life after 18 years, being bent over and being brought back, how she praised God, picture that, how she praised God. Maybe this morning, some of us, we were praising God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. How she praised God. Verse 14, but the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. Isn't it sad when systems become more important than people? Isn't it? Anyway, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. He healed her on the Sabbath day. Now, there are six days of the week for working. He said to the crowd, come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. Verse 15, but the Lord replied, you hypocrites. You know, when Jesus starts to call you a name like that, you've got to take that pretty seriously. He says, you hypocrites. Why are they hypocrites? Well, it goes on and says this. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This, dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. The kingdom of darkness. He's about to usher in the kingdom of light and his kingdom. Wait there. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. And here he goes into two parables. The parables of the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. He's about to explain what the kingdom isn't like, but what the kingdom is like. The parable of the mustard seed. He says this. Then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? And he speaks into him. He says, how can I illustrate it? It is, it is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. He also asks, what else is the kingdom of God like? It, it is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part. Everyone say every part. Every part of the dough. It's Luke chapter 13. That's the text for this morning. Let's set the scene here. Let's summarize what's happening. We have Jesus. We have the Sabbath. We have the synagogue. We have the teachings of Jesus who he reaches out to this woman and he in fact heals this woman after how many years? 18 years being bent over. Now, it doesn't, the scripture doesn't teach us a lot about this woman, in fact. It doesn't say that she was 
wealthy or that she was famous, but most probably, most probably, she lived on the margins of society because scripture, scripture teaches her that she was crippled. She was crippled and probably looked down upon, especially looked down upon because maybe that she was a woman, but we'll come to that just in a moment. So Jesus, in this scene, Jesus reaches out to this woman and he touches her and he tells two parables following from this healing. And by the way, Jesus loved this visual education, which he would often take what was familiar to people that they knew, and he would kind of mix in the unfamiliar within his stories. And he picked two very familiar parts of their society. One of a man who planted a seed of the, uh, the growing tree, and the other, a woman baking bread. And he would use these two parables to tell us, to tell his disciples, to tell those who are listening what the kingdom of God is like. And in verse 19 in Luke 13, it says that the kingdom is like a tiny little mustard seed. Now, at that time in history, well, it was the smallest known seed. It was about a millimeter. And our natural expectation would be that the kingdom is like this big cedar tree that immediately appears. That would be our expectation. That would be their expectation. We like big, don't we? We like big. I don't know if you've ever been to America, but if you go into a fast food chain, they generally do not have small. Come on, help me out. They generally do not, yeah, okay, I see, okay. They generally do not have small. They generally start at medium. <laughs> they generally go up to uh, large, and then they go up to super size. And you see people walking out, I kid you not, I kid you not, help me out. They, I, they walk out with buckets of drinks, like these buckets. They're not holding with one hand, they're holding with two hands. These massive drinks. But we like big, don't we? And sometimes we have this super me expectation of the kingdom in which God is building and Jesus comes along and he flips that around and he says, I'll have a small, thank you. I'll have a small. In our minds, we don't serve small. Hmm. And maybe the disciples and those who were listening didn't either. And he says that the kingdom is like what? A tiny mustard seed, a tiny mustard seed. But over time, over time, it grows to become a bush of about two to five meters. And he's saying that the kingdom is just like that. It starts small and reasonably insignificant. And over time, over time, you might be surprised what the kingdom accomplishes as we wait. But he goes on. And he repeats pretty much in verse 21. He says, the kingdom is like a woman baking bread. And of course, Jesus grew up and his mum, he would have seen many of times, he would have seen his mother baking bread and he would have been looking forward to eating that bread that his mother had baked and, and yeast. The story mentioned this idea of yeast, although small and seemingly what, what seems insignificant, is silently and invisibly has this power to affect everything. And in and through these two stories, that's what Jesus is returning. That's what the kingdom does if we wait. And in many ways, as we reflect on the life of Jesus himself, 
in his own life illustrates these two particular parables, if you think about it. You see, the day that Jesus died, from a human point of view, it wasn't very significant. There was certainly no media hanging around taking photos and reporting. You would have predicted that this man will change. You wouldn't have predicted that. Would change the history of the world. In many ways, Jesus himself was like the mustard seed. And if you follow history and you look back, you will see the impact of Jesus and his followers, those who followed him. In fact, uh, earlier on this year, I think it was about April, we did a series under the guidance of Carl Faye. Anyone remember that series? It was called Jesus the Game Changer. And you might remember just a few things. Can we just do a quick review? Just a quick review of the impact of Jesus upon the world since he came and died. Let's first of all look at the human life. Well, Jesus believed in the value of every human being. You may not feel that way, by the way, as you come here this morning. But Jesus believed in the value of every human being, and he values you. And can I just say, I just feel led to say, that if you were coming in here this morning and feeling that sense of insignificance, and feeling that, man, if people really knew. You know, Jesus would come, and he would sit right next to you, because he values you. And he loves you and he sees, he sees you, he hears you, and he wants to bring the best out in you. So we were made in the image of God. Not only did he teach this, but he modeled this in how he lived. And the very people that rejected were rejected by society, Jesus came to spend time with. He valued human life. The next thing he valued were children. Remember that part in our, our series? You see, in the first century, children had very little value. Jesus would take the children in his arms and he would pray with them. He would bless them. He would encourage them. He'd spend time with children. And so in front of the big 12 and in front of the Pharisees, he would say, unless you become like this little child, adding value to them, unless you become like this little child, you won't enter the kingdom. And so Jesus ushered in a brand new day for children and his followers uh, uh, years after would start orphanages all around the world. And of course, Door of Hope, we're connected to an orphanage in India that we support. And John, I know he's heading there in, uh, in a couple of weeks' time. I wish you all the best, John, over to India. How long are you there for, John? Thank you. Three months. Wow. Let's pray for John as he heads over there and works uh, with one of the orphanages in which we support as a church. The next thing that um, Jesus would value was women. I mentioned this before, and it was a great part in the series here. In the first century, uh, we found out that women were devalued. They were, uh, had a low status and a little influence, and the arrival of Jesus ushered in a brand new day for women. I was expecting a little bit more from you ladies, but uh, Jesus ushered in a brand new day for women. There we go. Fantastic. <laughs> and he treated them, there we go. He treated them with respect and with dignity. And amazingly, they were there the day of his resurrection when all the brave men had disappeared. Hmm. It was Christians who started the first hospitals and nursing homes. The Red Cross, did you know, was formed by followers because life was valued. William Wilberforce, the English politician, 1759, it was because of his faith. 
His faith in this Jesus we are talking about that drove him to abolish slavery. What drove Dr. Martin Luther King to fight against racism was his faith and his belief in Jesus Christ and the dignity of all lives. You see, we're talking about the kingdom starting small and the impact of Jesus in the human life. Education. Education. Well, Jesus, of course, was the greatest teacher who ever lived and it was followers of Jesus that birthed the whole field of education. Libraries, we learned. And in universities, putting theology at the core of education. Education for the deaf and the blind. Louis Braille, a Christian man, a follower of Jesus, helped the blind be able to read through Braille, Louis Braille. The arts, Bach and Handel, they wrote music to the glory of God. Science, well, many of the early scientists we learned were people of faith. And so Jesus has been a model, even a metaphor of these two parables, but he's not done yet. He's not done yet. His kingdom is still growing. And because of that this morning, these things that have impacted the world, can we praise him the way that we know on a long weekend this morning? Come on. Let's give it up for him. What an impact. What an impact Jesus has had. But what does this all mean for us? And how do these parables of the mustard seed and the yeast impact our lives today and tomorrow. I've got three things here for this morning on this long weekend. And the first thing is this. The first thing is that they are parables that tell us to be be patient. Think about it. Think about it. Oh, that supermarket line. That microwave, 30 seconds. I've got to wait 30 seconds. <laughs> if you're anything like me, it's kind of like, God, give me patience, but I want it. Very good. God takes his time. God takes his time. I think that's what this parable, these parables are teaching us. You see, if, if I were God, God forbid, things would be, have been wrapped up a whole long time ago, and God does not seem to be in a hurry. He is very patient, slow to anger, the Psalms would teach us, but rich in love. Planting a tree. Anyone ever done that before? Planting the seed, watering it. It takes time. I could sit here and stare. And it doesn't do a whole lot. <laughs> I could try to sing over it, which I won't this morning. I try to sing over it, and it won't do a whole lot. Well, it doesn't seem that way. You don't see a lot. You don't hear a lot of growing. And same with the bread. Same with this loaf of bread. We've got to wait for it to rise. There's a process that's going on in the mix. There's a lot of molding and shaping that's going on. There's a process. And God's kingdom is at work, but we've got to be patient. I believe that these two parables are teaching us to be patient. First of all, we've got to be patient with the world in which we live. Christians, come on. We've got to be patient with the world in which we live. Come on. Oh, man. We've got to be patient 
this fragile, we say here at Door of Hope, this fragile and uncertain world. We've got to be patient with the world. We've got to be patient with the church, which is an expression of the kingdom. We've got to be patient with the church. We've got to be patient because he's building it and he's coming back for this beautiful bride. This beautiful bride will be presented to Jesus one day. We've got to be patient with our own lives. Paul would write to the church in Philippi, in Philippi, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and he would say, He who has began a good work in you will carry it on to what? Completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, we should probably all be wearing a sign that says something like this around our necks. Please be patient with me. God has not finished with me yet. We should all be wearing a sign that says, I love the headstone, blesser. Ruth Graham, Dr. Billy Graham, who recently passed away. Ruth Graham, his wife, passed away in 2007. Some of you would know her headstone. Her headstone says this, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. We've got to be patient with the world. We've got to be patient with the church. We've got to be patient with our own lives. We've got to be patient with one another. We've got to be patient with family members. You've got to be patient with the in-laws. <laughs> We've got to be patient. We've got to be patient with people at work. And I believe the picture that Jesus was trying to describe here is to be patient, to be patient. The second thing I believe that these two parables he's trying to teach is to be encouraged. Be encouraged. There's a lot of discouragement that come from our own little thinking, our own minds each and every day. And as we read scripture, as we read the words of Jesus, I believe he's saying to you this morning, someone, I believe there's one person in this room here this morning, you need to hear this, you need to be encouraged this morning. And it's because of this, be encouraged, Jesus says, even though it may not seem like a lot is happening in your life, a lot is happening with your dream, that the kingdom of God is at work, it may not seem spectacular. But according to this scripture this morning, that God is at work and these parables are intended to encourage us. That a great impact is guaranteed if we have the patience to wait for that mustard seed to grow into something beautiful, something perfect, something great that God is growing in and with and for you in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus would tell parables to encourage his disciples. Could you imagine the discouragement that the disciples were going through? And Jesus would speak life and truth and hang in there. Yes, you're going to go through this. You're going to be hated. You're going to be tortured, but hang in there. He would say to his to encourage his disciples through their doubts, through their discouragement. He says to be encouraged. By the way, we mentioned Beethoven before. Yeah. One, one of Beethoven's first teachers said, you will never be a good musician. How many remember his teacher's name? Exactly. You don't. <laughs> you don't. But you do remember Beethoven. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to take that on board. I rebuke that. I rebuke that. I move on with my life. Einstein, let's go there. Einstein. Einstein couldn't speak for four years. In fact, he couldn't read, read or write until he was seven years of age. It's Einstein. Thomas Edison. One of his teachers, nothing against teachers, by the way. I know we've got a number of them in the room. 
That's why you've got to be very careful with what you say over people's lives because the, the power of life and death are in the tongue. We all, not just teachers, by the way, all, all of us. But one of his teachers, Thomas Edison, one of his teachers said that he was so stupid, he would never do anything with his life. He was one of the greatest inventors of all time. He invented the, the light bulb. That's a pretty bright idea, isn't it, Wayne? <laughs> Wayne's reply was, what? I can't outdo him. He's so good. <laughs> Walt Disney. Walt Disney. Anyone been to Disneyland, Disney World, anywhere around the world? Walt Disney, what an incredible... Walt Disney's first job was as a newspaper editor and he was fired. Why? He wasn't creative enough. He didn't have enough new ideas. Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc, at the age of 57, in the middle of a recession, he had this idea. He had this idea to start a hamburger restaurant. All of his advisors said, you are absolutely crazy, yet he went and did it anyway. Anyone been to McDonald's lately? Ray Kroc. Great movie, by the way. Just released, I think, 18 months ago. I saw it on the plane, one of the trips that I... And uh, it's called The Founder, by the way, featuring Michael... Keaton, not Keaton, not the Australian one, Michael Keaton, it's called The Founder, if you're interested, fascinating journey and story of the, the founding, uh, of the, the, um, how he founded McDonald's. And this idea took off. History, what I'm trying to get at, history is full of examples of people who were discouraged, yet through their discouragement, they had this massive breakthrough. And the disciples were exactly the same. Think about the disciples for a moment. They were ordinary, untrained, unskilled, yet they went to in, on to impact thousands, millions, billions of people. I think the word for us here this morning under this particular point is this, to be encouraged. Be encouraged. God is at work. God is at work. He's raising and rising you up. And I'm here to speak to you this morning, to one particular person here this morning, and it might be you, and that is this, and that is to dare to dream again. Dare to dream again. I think that's what the parable, I think what Jesus is teaching us here this morning. To dare to dream again. Dare to dream. Dare to be that seed. Dare to be that yeast. The third and final thing this morning is this, and I invite the team to come and to lead us in a song on communion as we come to the part of our service. That's this, that don't miss God. Don't miss God in the ordinary. Be patient. Be encouraged. But don't miss God in the ordinary. Think about the story. Where did the story start? Luke chapter 13. Woman, 18 years, what seemed very insignificant was quite significant. He turned her life around, or up. <laughs> he turned her life up and around, however you want to look at it. What seemed insignificant, Jesus turned, that doesn't just stay there. She wouldn't just sat there in her room the rest of her life and, and just gave thanks to God. She would have been out and about praising God, sharing the story, and all of a sudden what seemed insignificant was rising, was rising. The story was being told, and the ripple effect was, being was taking place, and history was being impacted because of this woman who knows the ripple effect 
Be willing to touch one person's life. Don't miss God in the ordinary. If you're looking for God in the big, if you're looking for God in the spectacular or dramatic, when actually life is lived out in the small cups of tea, when life is lived out in the small words of encouragement, when life is lived out in the small acts of, come on, long weekend, come on, is in the small acts of kindness, superheroes camp, yeah, hope kids, hope youth, nursing homes, that's where the kingdom of God starts to work and that's where it grows if we just realize that the small things are actually the big things, that the ordinary things are actually the extraordinary things. And that we would live our life not in some heroic way, but simply aligning our lives with the work of the king that is already taking place in the work of the kingdom of God in this world. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Be patient, be patient, be encouraged. And to see God in the ordinary, let me pray.